This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Welcome to the show. We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. At Athletic Brewing, we have a lot of people behind the scenes that are helping to make sure our non-alcoholic beer is the best it can be and, you know, the best in the world, in our opinion. Maybe your opinion, too. And we're actually talking to two of those people today, Zoe Riccio, who is the Director of Global Quality Assurance and Compliance, and Sarah DeLorenzo, Quality Assurance and Sensory Technician. So basically, Zoe is in charge of making sure our beer is safe to drink, and it's up to all the food safety standards. And Sarah actually helps ensure that our beer, well, tastes good and smells, feels all that the way it's supposed to and the way we intend so it's kind of exciting to talk to two people behind the scenes. So let's uh, go ahead and jump into Zoe's story first, and then we'll hear from Sarah. You are the director of global quality assurance and compliance here at Athletic Brewing. What what does that mean? Like, what do you do for folks that that don't know what that is? I essentially kind of have three teams um, under my umbrella. So that would be food safety, right? Because without alcohol, we're really producing what could be considered a conventional beverage product. And so, you know, we don't have the preservative of ethanol. So we have to treat it just like any other food manufacturing product where we have to understand all the, you know, potential food safety risks and mitigate them properly. And then also the quality, um, the lab quality team. So every uh, beer gets tested in, you know, every day in every tank um, and tasted along the way. And there's several different steps of the process where we do sensory to make sure that it is, you know, the best product um, and is up to our own standards. And then also compliance. So people think that non-alcoholic beer is less regulated than alcohol. And it, it, it really isn't because it's regulated differently everywhere. So it's regulated differently in every state in the United States. And then also in every international market we enter. And so what the labeling requirements are or the distribution requirements or age restrictions, they vary literally market by market. Oh, my gosh. And, and so when you go start to tackle in some of these problems, I'm sure you have resources to, to kind of find this information. Does a lot of it just boil down to, you know, searching the Internet, finding this stuff out, finding, you know, searching government websites in these different countries or areas? I mean, is it literally just boots on the ground, that kind of stuff? Yes, um, definitely government websites. We try to find, make sure we're getting um, information like, you know, current statute information, you know, checking it all the time if something changes. As we branch out into additional markets or international markets, you know, working with maybe, maybe consultants in that area or also like the distribution partners we're going to work with who are already in that market, you know, and, how, and relying on them a little bit to help us bridge the gap and make sure that we're meeting the requirements there. Um, and they have an interest in it too, obviously. So, so how did you get it started in this line of work? Because it seems, because I, you know, we, we run a lot of things through you from, I mean, you're, you're, you're helping with compliance of like text as well, like stuff on our website, that stuff as well, not just food safety. Yep, so yeah, all labeling and advertising compliance. Yeah. So everything, you know, essentially 
you look at everything from the product, from like how the ingredients are sourced and if they're, you know, safe and approved to, you know, manufacturing process, quality control um, and safety. And then through to finished good, you know, distribution, labeling, advertising is all in, in our team, the quality assurance and compliance team. That is so much to know. <laughs> so much. You've pointed things out on, on stuff we've submitted where I'm like, wow, I never would have guessed. Yeah. And it, it, it takes a team. You got to be a certain type of person, I imagine. Yeah, you have to you have to care about the details, even though they seem inconsequential. Um, you have to you kind of have to think of all the worst case scenarios, um, and we do a lot of likelihood versus severity, right? You know, um, if we say this, could somebody take it the wrong way? If they take it the wrong way, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, <laughs> um, it's a lot of mental you know, calculations going on all the time to make sure that we're representing ourselves exactly uh, the way we want to be represented and in a way that's effective communication to the consumer. And it's hard because, you know, legally uh, we're not beer and we're not allowed to use those ter that terminology. So beer, ale, stout, you know, you'll notice golden isn't a golden ale, it's a golden. You know, all out is extra dark. And so how do we communicate effectively with our consumer while meeting the current regulatory restrictions that we have? But part of the reason I know, you know, kind of a lot of what I do is, is I was a regulator for three years. Um, so I did work for a regulatory agency that inspected food manufacturing and food retailers. Um, and in that time, I was trained, um, I trained with the FDA a lot on what they look for and what their regulations are. So I have a little bit of insider knowledge as far as how regulators work and think. It's all, it's just, you know, practice and every situation is a new situation. And then you just remember, you know, take good notes, organize yourself. Hey, I, this sounds familiar. I think, I think we had to do this someplace else. Every day is a new opportunity. It's, a, it's an opportunity to make either the product better or get us into a new market or, you know, strengthen our message and our vision that we share. Do you look at, you know, I don't obviously no mention of names, but do you ever look at other companies and be like, that is completely non-compliant and think, wow, how are they doing that? I've done it. Well, I mean, I, I, I do sometimes. And also just even when I was a regulator and not in the non-ALC world, just like labeling regulations in the U.S. especially are, are really kind of arduous if you like dig into the detail. Um, so almost everything is wrong. But, you know, how wrong is it? Is it? And I, I kind of tell people it's like, it's like speeding, you know, there's a, there's a limit and then everybody goes a little bit above the limit and it's okay. But then when you get into like, is this gross negligence? Like, are you completely misleading somebody? Then obviously the risks are higher and you need to be either willing to incur those, you know, the consequences of those risks or sometimes, and it's usually with, you know, smaller companies and startups, like you don't know what you don't know. There's a lot of regulations out there. And I think that's really more accurate to say, especially in like this burgeoning non-elf world, is that it's really easy to, to not know what you're supposed to be doing. Especially if you're like entrenched in the world of alcohol and you think, oh, well, this is just so much easier because it's not even alcohol. I don't have all these regulations to worry about. It's really easy to think it's, it's simple and it's not. And it's even the same thing with production, right? Like, oh, well, we'll just do it this way and I don't really have to think about anything else. Well, it, it's a completely different product. I think that's hard. And I think, I think mainly a lot of the, the things that are wrong out in the market are, are more people just not knowing yet. Still so new. 
yes, and it's changing. I mean, even like the state regulations, you know, they change. They're they're constantly. That was an update last week. Yes, they are up for interpretation or review or you know a change in a statute. Um, so we you know we're really fortunate to have a team that is able to monitor those things. How do you stay on top of? this changing non-alcoholic landscape as far as like what's most up to date is it like news sources or um just personal research or is it just you know you know what i mean because it's it's Mm -hmm. there's all these things changing like how 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 much do you have to consume to kind of be uh i I mean i'm lucky to have a team right so uh we definitely have somebody on our team who focuses on that and things like that where you know are there regulatory changes that we should be aware of. Um, we're all constantly you know, reading trade news and sharing articles um, with different parts of the team as it uh, as they're relevant to certain parts of the team. And that's from you know regulatory landscape to processing to different types of um, ingredients um, or, you know, I actually, I spend personally and professionally, I watch the, um, the plant-based movement a lot because they they're fighting they're they're a few years ahead of the non-alk space and they are going through all the same things we're going to go through so um like the miyoko's dairy case where you know she won you know um, miyoko's makes plant-based um cheeses and butters and they were told they couldn't say butter because they're not dairy and they sued um, Department, uh, California Department of Agriculture, and and one the right to say butter, um, even though it doesn't match the federal standard of identity, and you know that judge was like, okay, I know that standard exists, but the world was changing, and this is not misleading. It ha- it's a huge letters, vegan butter. So I looked at that, and I'm like, oh, that's precedent for for things we're going to go through, right? Where if we say, you know, when we use language, when we say non-alcoholic beer. Um, instead of near beer or malt beverage, there's, we're not misleading the consumer. Um, even with, um, you know, and how those products are made and how they're labeled and marketed, all that kind of, all the changes that are happening in that space and the battles they're fighting, um, and the, even the consumer education part, right? Like, what's a plant-based burger or what's an impossible burger? Um, how do we communicate to the consumer what it is and that it's not the same old veggie burger from 30 years ago that's like you know stuffed with water chestnuts and no protein you know that consumer education piece and that you know those marketing hurdles and regulatory hurdles are all the same ones that we'll have um so i kind of like it's my future crystal ball (laughs) what has been maybe you know maybe not even at athletic but uh in your career has been one of your favorite wins or maybe one of your favorite changes or things you got to implement it's funny because I, I started my career in, you know, my first degree is in culinary and, um, and I, you know, well, baking and pastry actually. And like, I remember days, you know, working at a resort where you like, you just, at the end of the day, you made, you know, 2,500 cookies like by hand and you could see the work that you did. Right. That's very like tactile and, and you like see it and you're like, Oh, that, that's really satisfying. And now a lot of the work I do is so, incremental you know i'm in the weeds in the details on so many different issues um and it's really hard to think of it like what did i do today what did i accomplish um but now you know especially you know having 
being so fortunate to have have a team and have what is by and large an incredible and amazing team um, working under my umbrella is you know seeing seeing them start to do things that I would have done or um, you know putting in processes in place like you know for process improvement or continuous improvement and just seeing that happen right something goes wrong somebody you know the the, the boots on the ground uh, you know uh, address it and react to it and then the next level of you know management quality management are like okay this is great you know we corrected the issue but how do we make sure it doesn't happen in the future and seeing that all get to work um, through the whole team is really fantastic and that's when I feel like oh okay it's, it's the same feeling of like making two 2,500 cookies by hand, right? You're like, oh, I, it's working. I did it. I, I moved the needle. Um, so that it's different, you know, it's a, it's, it's a different than a different trajectory, but I think, you know, it's just seeing the team get the resources they need and the understanding and, and implementing the processes we're putting in place oh. for, you know, sustainable, continuous improvement. Absolutely. You, you, you don't make 25 cookies by hand anymore, but you do help get, you know, a couple 10 million cans out the door every year. So that's, <laughs> even yeah, though you didn't, fill them, yeah. you didn't fill them yourself, you definitely made that process possible. Definitely helped in a huge way. What excites you the most looking ahead? Um, I mean, I think athletic in general, you know, and, and the non-off spaces, it's like, it's exciting. Um, you know, we, you know, I work on a team that is constantly innovating and doing it fairly successfully, which means, you know, we there's a lot of failures behind the closed doors, but it's, it's such a safe space and it's such a, um, you know, such like a fantastic, uh, team of like minds and brains and working at things from totally, we all come at things from really different directions from different industries, um, to, to kind of push the boundaries of non-alc. You know, it's a good thing in general. Like it's just a, like putting a good thing into the world and and figuring out how to do it the best you can and as much as you can, um, and also just starting to get involved and help create resources for other people. John and I are on John Walker and I are on the BA subcommittee, the Brewers Association, to write kind of a guidance document for non-alcoholic to help people get the information. Like I said, you don't know what you don't know. Um, so we're working with the BA to kind of um, get people the information that maybe they don't know. And so they can make a better product and a safer product and a more compliant product. So kind of, you know, helping the industry at large. Man, that is so cool. I, I, I do remember John mentioning many times his passion for food safety. <laughs> and I was like, I've just never heard anyone say that. <laughs> so, but it's awesome. Yeah, it's, I think, you know, we live in a place that, you know, we kind of take that for granted. Um, Definitely. and also in beer, it's a thing that most brewers have never had to think about, right? Because alcohol is like this incredible preservative. And so it's a thing to, we continually bring to the industry and into any time we, we talk about it to just really drive home the delineation, but like non-alc is, it's a little bit different. Have we thought about putting alcohol in the beer to help preserve it? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Now that that would definitely be non-compliant. Um, tell us about your path crossing with athletics, uh, because I, I'm pretty sure it was really early on, like really early on. Um, I actually was the first 
regulator that Athletic had. Um, I licensed Athletic so they could open the doors um, when I was still a regulator. So you were you were aware of us from the beginning. Yeah, and I was like, I remember, I remember getting back in my state vehicle and driving away and going, she, you know, well, first I was like, I wonder how this is gonna go. Like this is fascinating. And then I was like, oh man, wouldn't it be nice to just like work? And so they seem like nice people. Wouldn't it be cool to like work in a place like that? You know, just a a small you know, place, because I was, you know, I would drove all over the state to inspect all kinds of facilities. And I, I remember thinking, I just remember clear as day thinking about it. And, um, and I was like, oh, well, I was like, they're probably too small. Like they wouldn't need somebody to do that. And then, you know, two years after that, not even two years after that, um, Bill and I reconnected. And then, you know, it's not so small. It's not simple. It's not small um, at all. I, but I remember, yeah, I remember even getting the, the email from Bill. Um, and I was happy where I was. I had actually left it, left um, regulatory and gone back into industry um, in the interim. And so, yeah, well, it was like I, I had to go to Italy at, for because the U.S. FDA was inspecting our Italian truffle plant. And so I had to go there and be there for that. And then and that was like my last big thing for them. Um, and so I, I got home a week before the pandemic broke in Italy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they're hard. The Western world. Early. Yeah. And so I was like, I was home for like a week. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, like the pandemic in Italy. And then I like started at athletic like a week and a half later. And then like a week and a half after that, it was like the pandemic was here. So it was, it was a wild, wild time. But I remember, you know, being perfectly happy in the job and then getting Bill's email. I was like, hey, I think we need somebody to do this. And I was like, I just knew I was going to need to do it. And I was like, I don't know. I just, I know. I, I don't know. I knew. I know because I remember licensing them. I remember thinking about it. It's just funny. And it was funny because I like, there was a very small window in which I would have been their, their inspector for licensing. Like I had just gotten given a new territory because somebody was um, retired extremely suddenly. And then also I had been out for on a medical leave for like a month. And then I ended up leaving the state. So there was like a really, really narrow period of time when like I would by happenstance been their inspector. Wow. So it's all it's all meant to be. <laughs> so here we are. All right. That was Zoe Riccio. Now we're gonna hear from Sarah De Lorenzo. How you doing, Sarah? I'm good. Happy to be here. You obviously you work in the brewery, right? Where where's home for you? How how far are, from the brewery are you? Um, I live about forty minutes away. Um, so I'm in Guilford, Connecticut currently. I was actually born and raised in Stratford, Connecticut, so very close to the East Coast Brewery. Oh, that's awesome! So any any uh, did you know Bill growing up or anybody that works there now, or is it just kind of it's big enough you didn't cross paths? Yeah, um, there are a few people who went to the same high school as I did, so that was kind of fun to learn. <laughs> that's really cool. So forty minutes—that's enough time to, uh, well, to listen to a podcast, you know? Yes, yes, I do that often. <laughs> well, cool. So, so tell us about uh, what you do here. You are like quality assurance and sensory technician, uh, but you didn't start out doing that. What did you start out doing with athletic, and then how how did you get into this? So I, um, I applied to be a brewer and before that I didn't really have any experience brewing beer. So that was just kind of a a leap of faith, kind of like, Hey, I I think I could do this. Um, so they hired me as a brewer. I learned the ropes on the brew floor, which was a lot of fun, a lot of hard work. 
very exciting days. And I had a lot of sensory, beer sensory background from a previous job. So I kind of said, hey, do you guys have a sensory program? And they said, no, we don't. But we would love to learn more about what we can do about it. So as I was brewing, I spent half my time trying to build a sensory program here. And um, I successfully did that, but it got a little bit overwhelming. So uh, June of 2021, I had to get foot surgery and that was like the perfect time for, to transition from the brew floor to more of a lab role for me. So I could concentrate more on lab stuff and, um, you know, continuing building and developing more sensory stuff on both coasts. So wow. that's where I am now. So why, for folks that don't know, because I'm not a brewer or understand a lot of what y'all do, why is it important to have sensory department? And like, what are you doing? We do sensory throughout the whole process of brewing. So the brewers are smelling the hops, um, smelling the beer as they're making it. And then as we ferment it, we do sensory on it every day to check to see how it's, um, you know, fermenting, if there's any issues during fermentation. Um, and then if there are any off flavors, which are flavors you don't want in your beer, um, we make an action plan for that um, and really dive down a little deeper to why that could have happened or, um, you know, anything else that's wrong, where, where did this happen and how to fix it. Um, do these things happen often? No, but because we have these processes in place, that's how we catch them before the package. Um, and then doing sensory after the package to make sure that we, we are putting out, you know, very good beer to our customers. Um, and then doing like shelf life stuff. So, you know, tasting the beer at an older age to see if it is still good. Wow. So many things you don't think about. So, so for you, did, how, how did you realize you had, I don't know, it, it, is what you do based on like a natural talent and then you build on that with skills or is it, cause you do have to have a certain level of the ability to smell things or is it just learned over time? You did, did you have a natural ability, I guess is what I'm asking. I guess there are people who are naturally good at doing sensory. Um, they have a good palate, have a good nose, but practice makes perfect as any sort of talent. Um, at a previous brewery, when I first started doing beer sensory, I was really intrigued by the whole process because I didn't know it existed. So as I did more trainings and off flavor trainings and just learning more about different styles of beer, I really, it really opened a new door in my head and I wanted to learn more. So I guess practice, practice, practice. I got kind of good at it. And um, the whole thing was just really interesting. And I wanted to, you know, educate more people on sensory and doing that today. So I'm really happy where I am. The first thing that comes to mind is like smelling the beer, tasting it. What, what, is there anything else that's involved is like feel is kind of some other senses that you wouldn't expect involved with that whole process? Yeah. So, um, all the senses you would use is visual. So you would look at the beer and, you know, decide what color it is, if it's hazy, if it's clear, um, if there's foam there, um, what color the foam is, 
Um, if there's any particulates, sometimes there are some flaky beers out there. So we want to definitely look at that. And then aroma, you know, swirling, giving that beer a nice good swirl to have all the aroma, you know, come out tasting it. So obviously we taste it. Um, and then definitely feeling would be mouthfeel. So how the beer feels on our tongue after we have swallowed or during, you know, evaluating the carbonation, if there's a drying effect, or like some sours, you have that mouth-watering effect. I guess you were doing this too when you were brewing, just not as your role. You just kind of have to do it because you got to make sure things are on track, right? Yeah. So when you're brewing, you want to make sure the ingredients you're using are up to par. I mean, sometimes a bag of hops can get left open or let out of the cooler for a little too long. So those hops would get some staling characters that you wouldn't really want to put in your beer. So sometimes, you know, brewers should be smelling their hops before they put them into the kettle. Um, so if they smell a bag of cheesy hops, that would mean that they're oxidized and you don't want to use those. You, you talked when you were on our uh, ambassador happy hour, I know we talked to you there too. You also talked about like exploring new styles of beers or really interesting characteristics. Uh, is, is that a big part of what you do as well? Or is it like making sure those things actually work together? They might sound good on paper, but in practice, it might not, not might not come across that well. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously exploring different styles of beer with different flavors, coming up with ideas is always fun in your head, but, you know, creating a, a beer that mirrors that idea. Sometimes it's a fail and sometimes it's a win. So, you know, we're really open to different ideas and creating new things. And the thing I like about Athletic is if something does fail, it's no big deal. It's kind of just like, hey, let's, you know, revamp the recipe and try to make it better. Like what went wrong here? Maybe we add a little bit more of this or take this out. So yeah, but playing around with different flavors is definitely something cool. And um, if you really like IPAs and you really like tropical fruit, you know, finding the right hop for that IPA or maybe putting fruit in it as well. For someone that maybe just doesn't have any training in this in sensory, how, how far do you think they, I mean, me, I don't feel like I have a very, you know, sophisticated palate. How far could training take me? You know what I mean? Could it get me like 80% of the way, way there and the rest is talent? Or is it like 50-50? What do you think? If you can't taste anything, like you can't taste your lunch today, then I, I'm sorry, but maybe it's not for you. Maybe I have COVID. If you think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could be it too. Um, but if you think like, you know, you re, you're a foodie, you really enjoy food and different types of, um, you know, beverages, and then just practicing and you know, for everyone at work, I do off-flavor training. So attending those and really learning the key off-flavors that could happen in beer. And then another thing that I tell people a lot is sensory is really about memories. So if you smell a beer and it reminds you of something, you have to kind of like open up that memory and say, what, what, about that memory, this beer is connecting to it. So you might smell like a, a very tropical sour, let's say that brings you back to a vacation you had when you were sitting on the beach drinking pina coladas or something. So maybe you're smelling coconut and pineapple in this beer and that's really cool. So like if you're a, a very picky eater, it might be hard for you because 
you don't know what guava or passion fruit smell like. Um, but I think, you know, really practicing and learning the key flavors and being more open about learning about them, you know, you could really be a good panelist in sensory. And I know I've trained people who have no beer experience at all. And, you know, they learn and they're doing quite well in sensory. So makes me feel really proud at the end of the day. That's really cool. May, may, tell us maybe there might not be a great example for this, but has there been a beard athletic brewing where you were like, you know, I don't know about this or one that surprised you and like, wow, this really works that maybe you weren't expecting. Yeah, there's always those. And I mean, everyone likes different styles and that's okay. I definitely prefer different styles over others, but I've learned to appreciate styles for what they are. Um, so I judge beer a little bit differently. Some people are just like, I hate IPA, so I hate this. Um, there has definitely been a couple beers where we have we, we were smelling in process and it's kind of like, this is boring. I don't know if I'm going to like this. And then the finished product, you're kind of blown away and it almost becomes your new favorite beer. Um, maybe like Sunset Stoke, like the pilot versions of that. I didn't really like it. And then, you know, finishing it, tweaking the recipe a, a little bit. And then like the final product, like now I really like that beer and it's very crushable. So I don't know. What do you see happening in the future with this, with this program or with sensory? Is it just a matter of scaling up the ability or is it, you know, is it, is it just more work the bigger we get or is it less work in a way because things get easier, processes get better, or you have more people to help you? Like, what, what, what do you see happening here at Athletic in the next few years? I think since I started in 2020, it was a, a process getting everything together and organized and making new processes. So that was a lot of hard work. And I think that things are in place now where we know the direction. It's only going to get bigger which is fine by me. Maybe they'll hire some help for me on this coast um, in the future, but that's okay. We'll cross that bridge when it comes. Um, but it's only going to get bigger. We're only going to be making, you know, more LTOs and mo more beers that are different and exciting. So it's only going to get bigger. Um, but I think now we have the right you know, the right things to do when something happens. So I think it's a very strong program and it's only going to get stronger, especially with the team that we have. That is too cool. Are there any styles or combinations you think are only or, or are more possible with non-alcoholic beer versus alcoholic? You know, I, I really like sour beers and I do drink alcohol. So I never thought that non-alcoholic sours would be as good as they are and maybe it's just athletic crushing the game but our sours i taste them and i don't even notice that there's no alcohol actually all of our beers i don't notice that there's any alcohol like you could blindfold me and tell me that it's beer and i would be fooled so <laughs> that's cool funny you say that i always thought that about our sours too when i drink you know an alcoholic sour it's like this tastes exactly like ours. It, it, it is one style. We absolutely, we nail it. Yeah, I agree. And you could do so much, so much with a sour. You can dry hop it. 
you could put fruit in it. You don't have to put fruit in it. You could put like herbs and floral things in it. So I think it's very versatile and I like sours. <laughs> well, Sarah, was there anything else you'd like to tell folks about what you do or maybe a misconception you think f- folks have about sensory? Um, I don't know. Just next time you crack open a beer, pour it in a glass and give it a nice smell and see what you smell. And uh, maybe it'll open your mind to drinking beer in a, a new light and maybe you'll enjoy it a little bit more. Oh, cool. Well, may- maybe one day we'll have a public facing sensory uh, yeah, that would be pretty cool. Or something. Yeah, that would be cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for being on. And uh, yeah, thanks for what you do here. Of course. And thanks for having me. The next time you have one of our non-alcoholic brews, make sure you remember the folks like Zoe and Sarah who are behind the scenes making this all possible. And if you'd like to try some of the non-alcoholic beer we've been talking about, go to athleticbrewing.com. You can order it right there from the site. Free shipping on two six-packs or more. Or you can use our store finder to find it on store shelves near you. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.